0: Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast Episode 90 and Podcast Episode 80 for the week ending Thursday, July 8th, 2021. And kick things off, uh, we got back from Florida finally early Thursday morning. Although it's no different, I work the same when I'm traveling and when uh, when I'm away. But over the weekend, we did three days at Disney with the girls, had a great time couple photos there that's at uh animal kingdom that one is at uh magic kingdom they painted the castle a different color um i i forget why but uh anyway it doesn't look as good as it used to but i, I think they'll change it back and then this was uh, hollywood studios with the hollywood tower of terror if you ever get a chance to do that uh, definitely take advantage. They basically drop you five stories in an elevator and uh, scare your kids, which is which is always fun. And then uh, this, I guess, was also Hollywood Studios. So, um, you know, interestingly enough, there was a ride in Hollywood Studios. It's like this Aerosmith roller coaster. And out of the gate, you go 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds, which, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that is the same speed as the Tesla Plaid. And when you come out of the ride, they you know they they snap your picture as you're going i guess you know super fast really really quick which my 7 year old didn't mind because in the pictures she was smiling and i looked like a scared little child so you know for a guy who loves speed that was a serious fast out of the gate roller coaster 0 to 60 in 2.8 seconds and and uh i have to rethink cuz i've had cars that go 0 to 60 in 4 seconds but uh, uh or 4. Four seconds, but uh, 2.8, not sure that's necessary, but I wouldn't mind trying it again. Uh, so that's that. But let's get down. I uh, also want to congratulate Tampa Bay Lightning for uh, repeating the Stanley Cup championships. And we got to go last Tuesday, I shared with you last week, um, or was it Tuesday or Wednesday, to game two. And uh, it was nice to see Andre Vasilevsky get the. Um, uh, Con Smythe Trophy as MVP, which he certainly earned it. The first few games of the series, they outshot, uh, they were outshot, and they still won. Tampa Bay did so. Who uh, huge kudos there, uh, and it was nice to see that last night. Albeit it was on TV from Connecticut, uh, it was still uh, good to see the progression and the win. Uh, moving right along on Friday after last week's podcast. I was on the Claiming Countdown on Fox Business uh, with Lauren Simonetti. Uh, thanks for having me on. And Ellie Terrett, thank you for having me on. And the basis of this segment was to talk about the jobs report and to talk about the trade. And we're going to get into that in our article of the week. Um, so uh, hang tight for that. Also want to thank Devic Jane and Amber Wark for quoting me in their article in Reuters this morning. Everyone knows the market was down huge. The futures closed down weak, but, but uh, with uh, some more strength than it had in the morning. And I said, what you saw with Didi this week really spooked investors because you have a concern now that we don't know what the regulatory proposals are going to look like. Until there's clarity and the Chinese government moderates its stance, investors will dump holdings and ask questions later. And we saw that this week. And we're going to talk about uh, how we're thinking about that and what opportunity it may represent Uh, for us to take advantage of, which we have been taking advantage of. And I think these are some appropriate quotes to set up the context of today's call. Uh, Benjamin Graham said, individuals who cannot master their emotions are ill-suited to profit from the investment process. And this game is 80% mental and 20% Technical, uh, uh, understanding what to do, Uh, understanding what to do is in every textbook under the sun. You can read uh, Benjamin Graham's Intelligent Investor, Security Analysis. You can read the CFA books. But when push comes to shove, why isn't every CFA a billionaire? And, And the answer is because it comes down to temperament. Uh, risk capacity, knowing what you own, uh, etc. And we're going to drill down into some of that, particularly as it relates to BABA on this week's call. Uh, And uh, this second quote from Philip Fisher, uh, he says, the market is filled with individuals who know the price of everything but the value of nothing. And I think that holds true, especially this week, uh, as it relates to BABA and some of the other stocks we're going to talk about because nothing changed fundamentally. We'll talk about the regulatory noise and the Chinese government errors, but um, the underlying business did not change. And All that changed was the emotion around it, panic selling, uncertainty, and, um, and, and this is where uh, Warren Buffett talks about, great investment opportunities come around when excellent companies are surrounded by unusual circumstances that cause the stock market to be misappraised. And this week is a perfect example of that, Um, investors' perception of the Chinese government's moves and the reality of the government's moves, which we're going to try to dissect. But if you think about excellent companies uh, and and if you were to ask 10 intelligent investors on the institutional investors, what's the number one, what's the best company to own in China? I think nine out of 10 would say Alibaba. And yet it's trading at, you know, a 30, 40 percent discount to its intrinsic value uh, on growing earnings and, and growing top line, growing bottom line, everything else just because of some short term noise. So um, it leads me to um, our one of our we're going to do the three questions of the week. But the first question of the week was. Um, ah, here we go. Uh, Okay. Surya Shah says, Hi, I'm very much impressed by your podcast and the service you're providing for small investors. Unfortunately, I did not buy some shares in Alibaba, even though you were pounding on it. Should I wait for some pullback as it has risen quite a bit since your recommendation? Or is it still okay to buy for the long term? I really appreciate your input. You're the best. Thanks. Well, <laughs> this is the, this is the beauty of, uh, of markets is that. Uh, everyone wants to buy on a pullback until they actually get the pullback. So, uh, Surya, I don't know if you're out there, but we were uh, in the market today aggressively adding to Alibaba. Is today the bottom? I, I have no idea. But all I know is I have a rough value, rough idea of where the intrinsic value of Alibaba is. And I think over time it's well north of 300, whether it takes – 6 months to get there or 18 months or 36 months. I don't have the answer to that question. Uh but my my presumption is is after this short-term smoke clears, uh I think you could see it recover to in that ballpark uh over the next year or so and that's going to dramatically outperform the S&P 500 because from, you know, 200 our basis was 211 it lowered today to whatever it lowered because we uh uh, bought below 200. But, um, uh, you know, that that's going to be at least a 50% move. And then we have some, some long dated options as well to add some alpha. So, you know, if we're right about our outlook on intrinsic value over the next six to 18 months, uh, you know, that major position in the portfolio is going to uh, yield probably notionally about 70, 75, 80% on, on the total amount of capital at risk. So um, so we like that risk reward. And if it goes lower, we'll probably add a little bit more. And um, uh, so so that's that. So let, let's talk about it because um, the second question was basically the same thing, but this was from first name only Blake. Uh, Hi, Tom. First off, love your show and appreciate all the insight you give to uh, to listeners. As someone who wants to get into the industry, your podcast has been an incredible tool to supplement my learning. I have a question for the Ask Me Anything segment of your podcast. I'm sure you've gotten this question a lot, but feel it's relevant with the The news from China this week with Chinese authorities possibly changing rules, allowing them to block companies from listing overseas. How does that affect tech giants like Tencent and Alibaba that have already IPO'd and sold shares to U.S. investors using the the VIE structure? Obviously, we understand the potential impact for pre-IPO tech companies trying to attract foreign capital. But wonder if there's any potential risk here to Tencent, Alibaba with restrictions potentially being imposed, intensified scrutiny, etc. cetera. A great question. We're going to cover that as well, Blake. And then I just want to do the third question because sometimes if I don't get to them all at once, I forget by the end of the show. So uh, Shawrab Mohammed asks – uh, how are you, great video cast extremely informative, and now you gave us the process you go through FinVis screen for large cap over two dollars fantastic as usual in all the last three videocasts you mentioned that the yield sensitive sectors and i research uh, and I researched understood the defensive sectors and big pharma but i couldn 't understand why the tech sector so we 've been talking about by the way, and this is a great segue into this podcast um, uh, with yields lower. Defensives, utilities, staples, and um, big pharma as well as tech, would benefit from the moderation of yields, which we thought would persist over the summer. And if you recall, we said several weeks ago we thought yields would be lower in the short term and probably then reverse at some point as we get closer to the end of the year and finish the year, if not just shy of uh, 2%, the 10-year yield, like 190 basis points, if not uh, over 2%. And uh, so far, that's correct. So we are getting the strength in bonds and the weakness in yields we anticipated. When the inflection will be, we don't know. But we are starting to see that second-leg bid that we've been waiting for on the staples, some utilities, and, uh, and pharma. And I think that's going to persist here in coming weeks, which is right on time. So that's great. Now, to answer Sherab's question is um, – so why is tech involved? So long duration earnings are sensitive to rates as the lower discount uh, as a lower discount rate makes future earnings more valuable today. Higher rates makes those future promised earnings less valuable. So that's why I responded to Sharab. Um, so so basically if rates go up dramatically, the discount rate goes higher which makes the value of the future cash flows net present value uh, less valuable in the present day. So, so in a declining rate environment, as you saw from basically the last crisis till now, tech outperformed uh, because those, those long duration earnings for companies that uh, either had no earnings and were promising big earnings five years out uh, or had earnings growth. Uh, that becomes way more valuable when the discount rate is low. And with the 10-year now around 130 basis points, never mind below 150, uh, uh, those longer-dated earnings become more valuable in, in the short term as long as rates stay subdued. So so that's why that's kind of an outlier, non-defensive group that fits into the bucket of beneficiaries to lower rates. Great question and uh, uh, thought process there uh, for Sherald. So um, – Okay, so let's get into the stuff on Alibaba for for Blake and for um, Surya. Okay, so here's an article from Barron's. uh, Beijing's regulatory plans could hurt the U.S.-listed Chinese company. The pitfalls investors should know. This is from Barron's uh, later yesterday. Uh, So... If you look at the 10 cents and the JDs and the Babas, they're registered in the Cayman Islands and they use a variable interest entity structure, which allows them to get around Chinese restrictions on foreign ownership and uh, capital and currency controls. And this has been used since the year 2000 when a company called Sina, S-I-N-A, went public. They were kind of um, uh, the pioneers, so to speak, in this uh, place and um what chinese regulators are mulling is is a change that would require companies using this structure to seek beijing's approval before listing in the us, hong kong or elsewhere something that could hold already listed companies uh that could hold for all uh so so basically how it would impact existing companies that are already public is if they choose to do a secondary offering to raise more capital, they may have to uh, ask China, uh, ask Beijing for approval. That's not going to be a major factor with with JD or Baba. My my sense is with their cash flows, they're more inclined to be buyers of their undervalued stock than sellers of new stock. Uh, but certainly, you don't want that overhang of having to go beg the government to to sell more stock when the, you know if, if the stock goes up. from here and or or 100% and it's trading at you know 40 times forward versus 20 times forward are they going to want to sell stock well if i was running it i I certainly would be interested in considering it um so it it, the the bigger impact is it's going to make it harder for uh potentially make it harder for new companies to go uh Public. Okay. And and I think Blake touched on that. So so on the existing companies, the, the bigger risk is that they can't raise additional capital or they have to go through a process with the Chinese government uh, which which kind of messes things up in the short term. But uh, I think what you're gonna find, and as we drill down later into this call in the article of the week, that what China Chinese government has done uh, of late is against their self interest and ultimately will be unwound and and how we know this is that um one of the things that happened this morning is they announced that they were going to loosen monetary policy again um and if you recall in the past six months, pretty much every time i've been on c g t n america uh, I said that China should not be tightening in the middle of a pandemic, so they did some kind of industrial and construction stimulus early on in the pandemic. And then they started tightening once the Western world uh, announced aggressive fiscal and monetary policy. They basically said, okay, we're going to tighten. We'll just free ride on them and piggyback. And I said explicitly, this is a mistake. They should keep the pedal to the metal like the western world is doing until the pandemic is fully in the rearview mirror there's no downside to doing so and there there uh might be tremendous downside if they tighten too early so that's what we saw but they they adjusted it's a, it's it's one thing to make mistakes it's another thing to not correct them and um and i think that what we're going to see with their kind of killing their own um that they're going to find that if the global capital markets start to close the door on Chinese companies, their hopes and dreams of becoming uh, having global economic hegemony will be destroyed immediately um, if, if their biggest enterprises aren't able to raise capital. And, and it's moving in that direction. Uh, but I think we're at an acute enough point that it's in their interest to back off. And if they do so at this stage before too much damage is done then um, then the outlook uh, uh, will be very positive for them but um, uh, we'll, we'll we'll drill down the other thing that kind of knocked the market for a loop this morning, obviously the Tokyo Olympics will be held without uh, fans after new covid nineteen state of emergency declared that's you know the uh, delta variant is is getting some traction globally for people that don't have the mRNA vaccines yet uh, but don't worry Pfizer and Moderna are going to get them to you and uh, that will be taken care of in due time. The next few things I want to cover these are from Ryan Dietrich over at LPL Financial. Um, let me just see here. Okay so he has basically just some uh, overviews when the S&P makes uh Seven consecutive new highs. What happens a month later, three months later, six months later, and twelve months later? On average, it's up in every single period. So uh, this short-term pullback is in line with what we had expected in the beginning of the year. We thought we were going to get a handful of these shallow pullbacks—three, four, five percent. You know, closer to most of them have been three percent actually up to this point. Uh, We've had about three, so we should expect a few more before the end of the year and finish out the year mid teens. You know, we may very well finish out high teens since we've already booked 14, 15%, I guess maybe a little less than 14% as of today. Um, But on balance, it just shows an underlying bid in the market and that persists. What happens after five months? The S&P, uh, five months of win streaks for the S&P 500, one month, three months, six months, and 12 months. On average, again, it's up in all periods. And uh, five quarters of S&P, same thing. A quarter later, two quarters later, and four quarters later, it's up up on average. So uh, good quantitative data from LPL and Ryan Dietrich. Um, now, a couple other things. Um, Okay, uh, Okay, so the State Council said on Tuesday that rules for overseas listings will be revised while publicly traded firms will be held accountable for keeping their data secure. China will also step up its regulatory oversight for companies trading in offshore markets. So, uh, and under the revised rules, VIEs like Alibaba that have already gone public may need approval for additional share offerings in the offshore market, according to People for Friendly. So they're very worried about their data. They want to put on data controls. That, that, that's not new. These companies will comply. They'll share the data that the government wants, and um, and it'll be back to normal. How much they're going to hold back these newer companies from going public, that is is a risk. So if you own a lot of private uh, uh, equity in... Ah, uh, Chinese companies, and you're waiting for your big day for them to go public. You may be waiting a little longer, uh, but that's not that's not the the neighborhood that we're playing in. So uh, that's not a not not a big thing. The other thing that um, President Xi has to worry about. Bloomberg put out a great article this week uh, by Eric Zhu and Tom Orlick. When will China rule the world? Maybe never. And it goes through something that I spend a lot of time on on these podcasts, which is demographics. And, and I've, I've laid out the case why the U.S. is in a very constructive uh, demographic period with 72 million millennials. And I'll show you some images on that later in the videocast. But China does not share that same demographic tailwind. Um So the nightmare scenario for President Xi is that China could follow the same trajectory as Japan, which has been kind of my base case, Uh, also touted as a potential challenger to the U.S. before it crashed three decades ago. And it's uh, not fully recovered since. Um, A a combination of reform failure, international isolation and financial crisis could halt China before it reaches the top. So basically... um, What China is doing is it's, you know, if they persist down this road and kill their own by constantly fining and restricting the growth of Alibaba and JD and Tencent. So they can't compete with the likes of Amazon and some of the uh, uh, bigger international players, whereas their growth rates were actually exceeding Amazon's, certainly in terms of Alibaba Cloud. Uh, they're going to just fall behind. and And that's not the kind of thing that you want. If you're a Chinese government official, you want your companies to be the biggest and the best. And that's the trajectory they were on prior to this this crackdown. Um, now, if it's a short-term crackdown and, you know, like they had guidelines for live streaming, you can't be under 16 and live stream. Well, that, that makes sense. That's a guide rail. You don't – you know, you can't uh, make false claims about products that, you know, don't do what they say they do. That's a good thing. That's good for the consumers. That's going to lead to long-term st- stability. Um, so – and what we're going to find as we drill a little deeper with the uh, DD IPO – is that Didi may have uh, dug their own grave by disregarding uh, some of the Chinese government requests multiple requests I think in the neighborhood of 30 regarding data and they just pushed out the IPO so so the market may be overreacting because of all the things the Ant Financial thing got delayed Jack Ma's disappeared um, you know Baba was fined 2.8 billion dollars uh, you know sometime back which started the weakness in the Chinese stocks um, and all of those different things but um, the future of China is going to really depend on these platforms becoming bigger and bigger and spurring internal consumption, which is part of their dual circulation plan over the next five years. They want to get their consumer going because their their uh, growth has been largely driven by manufacturing, construction, and that's where they put their stimulus money because they wanted long-term returns. But the consumer has lagged, and that's partially due to Um, uh, mercurial policy as it related to covid you know one day your business is humming the next day the whole city is shut down because there are three cases and it creates this stop and start where they're you know they've just struggled with momentum and part of that is because they were also lagging on the vaccinations and they don't have the mrna but they do have now quite a few uh, vaccinations of their own vaccines so that's a positive thing so what this article is basically saying, you know, obviously they're questioning China's official GDP. I, I, uh, I take that with a grain of salt because uh, no one questions their GDP numbers when they were horrible in the, in the acute phases of the pandemic. They only question them when they're good. So I, I don't think that's a reason to question it. I do think demographics, because they had the one-child rule for so many years and in 2016 they changed it to two children and now they're trying to catch up they realize oh my god we're gonna we're gonna wind up like japan so now you can have three children um and that's one of the components in this article the three factorings factors that determine the economy's growth rate the first is the size of the workforce the second is the capital stock everything from factories to transport infrastructure and communication networks finally there's productivity or how effectively those first two can be combined in each of these areas, China faces an uncertain future. Start with the workforce. The math is straightforward. More workers means more growth. Fewer means less. Here lies China's first challenge. Low fertility, the legacy of the one-child policy, means that China's working-age population has already peaked. If fertility stays low, it's projected to sink, uh, shrink by more than 260 million over the coming three decades, a drop of 28%. Aware of the risk, China has changed course. Controls on fertility have been relaxed uh 2016 was raised to two children this year uh announced that three are allowed meanwhile plans to increase the retirement age could keep older workers in their jobs for longer uh if the reforms even if the reform succeeded, it'll be hard for China to offset the impact of the demographic drag, the same one that China, uh, Japan faced in, in the late 90s. If you remember, they were, well, many of you probably don't, but they were buying up Rockefeller Center. They were buying up all the prized properties. And, and of course, all the American investors were happy to top-tick them and just uh, lay off all their, all their uh, product to the Japanese, who were going to take over the world until they absolutely crashed and and haven't recovered for three years because of not because they necessarily did anything wrong the only thing they did wrong was they didn't have enough babies and we've been able to offset our lower fertility rate through allowing uh open immigration which has kept our population growing which is one of the secret ingredients of the capitalist uh miracle basically is population growth so uh rules aren't the only thing that are holding families back from having more children. There's also the high cost of things like housing and education. The reason I haven't bought three Rolls Royces is not because the government won't let me wrote one netizen in response to the three child news. Okay, that's funny. Uh, The outlook for capital spending isn't quite so big. So the the main thing is the demographics and uh, platforms like Alibaba that facilitate Internal consumption, which they need to they need to evolve to to become a developed market like the U.S. 70% is the consumer. They're nowhere near that. Alibaba facilitates that. They want to foster growth of Alibaba if they want that too. Is if they do get international coalitions pushing back on trade, uh, they're going to need more uh, a stronger domestic economy. Again, Alibaba facilitates that. They're trying to push the digital yuan again. Ant Financial facilitates that. So everything the government wants and needs as a hedge, these big platforms provide. What they've been doing is uh, trying to put guide rails in, and and it's natural. Usually regulators overshoot in the short term. They come back to the middle, and then everything's better off. You do have rules that are constructive for the long term growth, and you um, but you don't choke the growth off completely, and. If I'm the Chinese government, I'm thinking, you know, the one advantage that we have over Europe is Europe doesn't have any major tech platforms because their regulation has always been too restrictive. And that's held them back and that's set, set them set them behind relative to the U.S., which is just a bastion of innovation. So um, uh, I, I think this is going to get resolved quickly. And I think uh, that there will be a bigger screening for new IPOs, but the bigger platforms are, are already st- – been in that compliance process with the government, now the market just needs to get comfortable that uh, this is the extent of it. As we say, it's always darkest before dawn before they can start put to put money back to work. On the flip side, if the government continues to push on a string and hurt themselves and hurt their biggest, most profitable enterprises, and biggest hope for the future, both domestically and in terms of international growth, then they'll just leave themselves in the dust, and the rest of the world will out outcompete them, and out innovate them, and outgrow them. Uh, if regulation becomes too stringent, uh, or if capital flees, look, capital goes where it's treated best, and if the government starts to disrespect the capital that's been afforded to it, and its enterprises which create tens of thousands, if not millions, of jobs, uh, which keeps you know, the populace stable and keeps the government in power, then that capital will go away. And so will the stability and so will the jobs. And so will the the uh, perceived uh, power in the region. So, you know, this is a calculus that uh, I'm sure they're fully aware of. Uh, and they may be coming to grips with the fact that they're overshooting in the short term. And that did uh come to bear this morning, this was something that I tweeted out that wasn't picked up on many of the carriers, but Reuters put it out. and what it said was um, okay, the CAC, which is the um, which is the uh, the domestic regulator that cyberspace administration of China. Uh, that started in 2014 by President Xi Jinping uh, implements online cent- censorship that has ch- d- uh, dramatically tightened under his tenure, and the agency champion- champions Beijing's policy of internet sovereignty that keeps China's massive online ecosystem behind the country's great firewall. So this is the regulator that that um, accused Didi of illegally collecting users' uh, personal data. And called for Didi to stop accepting new users in China, saying that Didi's app had serious violations of laws and regulations pertaining to the collection of personal information. Now, if you actually dig a little deeper, uh, there's an article that came out midday today in the Financial Times that said Beijing asked Didi to change their mapping function over security fears before the IPO and requested multiple changings to the map- mapping function of ride hailing group Didi's app before its listing, fearing it could reveal sensitive government locations, according to two people familiar with the company. Uh, The CAC, Cyberspace Administration of China, frequently communicated with Didi, making more than 20 requests for changes to the app, which Didi uh, implemented, said, said one of the people familiar with the matter. The CAC did not think the mobile app changes... The CAC did not link the mobile app changes to any requests to delay the uh, international public offering said DD the CAC has issued many rectification notica- notices to companies without taking their apps down so you know this is kind of a communication thing. obviously these companies are com- going to comply and it will be back you know back to uh, normal and a rebuilding process and the markets will rebuild trust blah 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 but today it was interesting because I said they're gonna have to walk this back or the capital markets are gonna just close on their head and once it closes It takes years to reopen. And this guy who runs the uh, spokesperson for the CAC came out this morning and said, quote, uh, so we are at a point where the stars are aligned. Oh, no. Okay, that's not the quote. Where is the quote? Uh, Oh, here it is. Okay. Asked about the CAC's recent action, foreign Foreign Ministry Spokesman Wang Wenbig, Wenbin, said authorities manage... And make safety checks on internet platforms to mitigate risk and safeguard national security. So I guess their fear was that, you know, this map on Didi's, you know, Uber app, basically, um, would show sensitive Chinese sites that I guess they didn't want foreign governments to have access to, uh, etc. So he says, quote, China's policy remains unchanged. So if the market believed that, all these stocks would have been bid today. So, so now they're starting with the words. Let's see if they, if they follow through with the actions so the market can believe what they're saying. China's policy remains unchanged. We continue to open up and support the development of Internet platforms, and we will continue to encourage Chinese companies to engage in international exchanges and cooperation, he said. So this is the key quote. So they realized probably they went too far. Capital's fleeing. Projects are getting shut down. IBOs are getting shelved. Uh, Which basically means all these companies are going to do what? They're going to lay off Chinese workers, which are the source of the Chinese government's power. So if you get people uh, unemployed due to bad policy that causes capital to flee, you lose your grip on power. That is a bad move if you want to keep the um, Chinese government initiatives moving forward for growth and increased competitiveness on a global scale. They probably realize that... This is the first um, uh, reversal in language. Now we get to see if we're going to see some follow through with reversal in actions, which helps them, uh, which helps, which helps everyone. So so that was that, you know, I guess the takeaway here is Didi obviously probably has some fault here uh for forcing it out and probably not a good idea to force it out at the same time the communists are you know celebrating their 100 year birthday probably wait a couple weeks before you push something out like that especially such a big marquee thing i mean Didi has a monopoly on ride sharing in china i mean it's like it's like if uber were to knock out lyft and all taxi cabs that's Didi. it's a pretty interesting platform um so to push that out you know, wrong time. They should have learned a little bit from Jack Ma. They didn't. So, so we got to deal with this short term. But that created an opportunity for us. So, um, uh, you know, I, I think we've adequately addressed Blake's questions and um, Surya's questions. And what I actually said to Surya privately was look, I don't know where the next five or ten dollars is up or down because it had, you know, rallied from. 211 to 229, or whatever it was. And I said, you know, they're probably going to pull back and consolidate a little bit on last week's call. If you remember, I said that both about Baba and about Splunk because they had such big moves so quickly um, from where we were suggesting them several weeks ago. And, you know, it certainly pulled back more than anticipated based on this news, but that also created an opportunity. But I also said, so the answer to your question is we've just had a huge move, you know, do a little and then, you know, add more if it goes against you um, and and kind of average into your position. And uh, and hopefully, you know, she's been able to take advantage of that. And by the way, uh, this you see the terms on hedgefundtips.com uh, right here. This is not investment advice. This is my opinion. So I don't know what serious situation is. You have to do what's right for you talk to your financial advisor uh, etc. I deal with accredited investors that are accustomed to risk and reward. And by the way, I think the other thing that, um, uh, has kind of separated Warren Buffett from the rest of the pack, and we've covered this in recent weeks, he's still the richest guy in the world. He just gave away half of his money. So, you know, he's worth North a uh, hundred billion dollars, but he gave away half of his stock over the last, um, handful of years, whatever it's been. So, you know, his. Wealth would be well over 200 billion right now. And, you know, he's been coasting uh, for a number of years. So, um, leaving that aside, the point that I'm making is that volatility does not equal risk. If you take one thing away from this call, um, that's probably the most important thing. Volatility does not equal risk. If anything, volatility equals opportunity. Um, and far too often people equate like you know they they look at sharp ratios and they you know want to know what you're up and down on a week by week and month by month. You will never outperform if you don't have volatility because by by definition in order to get alpha you're taking advantage of dislocation and dislocation is when there's wholesale puking and um overshot. You know, if you're going long overshoots to the downside or dramatic overshoots to the upside, if you're going short, it's never a wise idea to get aggressively short at the beginning of a new business cycle, which is why we've had, you know, much less uh, short exposure than historically in the last year and a half. Um, But uh, volatility is what what leads to the outsized gains over time um, uh, in a portfolio. And, And the whole key getting back to the Philip Fisher quote with people who know the price of everything and the, um, value of nothing. Nothing has changed in the underlying fundamentals of Alibaba in, in the past four, four months since, by the way, Charlie Munger made it his number one position in the daily journal portfolio, 20% of the portfolio at much higher prices. And he's still buying at a discount and we're buying at an enormous discount to him. And, um, the key is their cloud business. AliCloud, Cloud is growing faster than AWS and could be bigger than AWS in the next three to five years if they uh, continue with their international expansion and if their government doesn't get in the way. Their T Mall numbers, their gross merchandise value, everything is in place, and basically, you're getting the same business, the same. Well, now you can buy it cheaper than you could buy it three years ago. In in at this time in June, July. You can buy it cheaper at that price. The difference is revenues, cash flow, and earnings per share have all doubled over that period and are going to continue to grow over the next three to five years, if not more so because the government is committed to internal consumption. And after this hiccup, they're going to be promoting policies that that benefit these platforms. Uh, because Why? Because it's in their interest. That's why. It gives them more power. It gives China more growth. It gives them more jobs, more stability, more internal consumption, all the things that uh, are required to, to retain control. Uh, inside of that, Alibaba... Uh, actually got an upgrade from KeyBank analyst Hans Chung, uh, upgraded, uh, maintained the overweight, and his thesis is despite lower expectations, Chung says Alibaba's market position remains strong among peers in the aftermath of the anti-monopoly crackdown in China, as per the analyst, And by the way, all these regulatory crackdowns, (laughs) whenever the government gets involved, the big get bigger and the small can't. Uh, The small can't pay for the regulation. So effectively, the net effect of what happens when the government cracks down on all these rules is the small people can't afford to comply. It um, deters new entrants to the marketplace. The bigger people can spend the money on the uh, compliance with the new regulations, and it builds their moat bigger and bigger as competition goes by the wayside because they can't afford to comply. So the same thing is happening to Alibaba. The same thing will happen in the United States. And uh, when's the last time you saw a new social network pop up? Um, So as per the analyst, with higher average revenue per user and membership adoption, Alibaba's business-to-consumer online retail platform Tmall has boosted its market position in the mid-to-high end of the online retail market. On Alicloud, which is turning into a bigger source of revenue, Chung said the unit continues to see strong momentum in the enterprise and and the public sector. The analyst said Alibaba's management tone indicates better landscape Cape Dynamics then feared by Wall Street. Um, and uh, so the lower price target. So their target is $270, which would be uh, 35% move from here. Uh, lower revenue, operating profit for, okay. Expectations of lower revenue and operating profit for Alibaba in fiscal year uh, quarter twenty. Q1 2022, due to slower growth in gross merchandise value, Uh, why it matters, the world's largest e-commerce company in terms of gross merchandise volume, had last year found itself under intense regulatory scrutiny after Alibaba's uh, founder Jack Ma's criticism of the China regulatory system. Uh, uh, The cloud unit is Alibaba's second biggest revenue driver after its core e-commerce business, uh, in 2020, Alibaba's cloud business at the third spot generated $6.12 billion in revenue behind Amazon Web Services and Microsoft's Azure. Uh, so, so that's that. So, yeah, all of that is known, but there are a couple analysts now starting to sniff it out and saying maybe the worst is behind us. Now, I want to get back to if you remember the famous article on September 24th, 2020, when I was pounding the table on Wells Fargo. And the article was called the Cobra Kai Leg Sweep. I'm sorry, the Cobra Kai Sweep the Leg Stock Market and Sentiment Results. Cobra Kai was really big on Netflix. It's a remake of The Karate Kid, and when they're all grown up. And I was, I was showing, you know, in the movie, they have this thing. You're not going to be able to hear this, but maybe you can. Hold on. Sweep the leg. The coach says, Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And then you see him go out there and anyway, so he sweeps a leg. And that's basically what happened to Wells Fargo when I wrote this article. So we we're bullish. It was building this base. It took like six months. Uh, but we we're just like, look, this thing's trading at a 50% discount to book. It's only done this two other times in history. Uh, book was about $40 a share. And... Um, and we thought that this was a final leg sweep where they would take everyone out and and the the sentiment model that we were using cuz sentiment had gotten so low $22.83 it then went up to forty-seven or forty-eight dollars, and then we started saying these things are going to pull back because all the late money was getting excited. Everyone that hated it and was making fun of it on the major stations in the twenties loved it up here and wanted to couldn't couldn't buy enough. The turnaround story is real, yada yada yada, and that's when we were like, we're lightening up. We know this is going higher over the next three years, but we're going to take a little off here, and uh, and sure enough, it's pulled back to the mid to low forties. Uh, and we're gonna talk a little bit about banks and and how we're thinking about them short term as well, now that they have done the pullback we were anticipating. Now, this is the model, this is from Justin Mammoth. I, I I don't really know who that is, but this sentiment chart has circulated for years and years. And I found it to be very, very useful when you have a good quality business that you know what you own. Uh trading in a period of dislocation and how sentiment works. So we used this in this article. You know, we said, uh, patience, Daniel's son, you must learn to hold because our basis was 25 and it went to 22. Uh, And um, so it showed this model. So this is when you have absolute enthusiasm. Then you have the subtle warning and disbelief. Then you get the crash, and you get the panic low. Let me make sure that you guys can see this. Um, Okay. Let me just make sure that this is coming in. Yeah, okay, great. So you can see the whole thing. Perfect. All right. So then you get this panic low, and then you really screw them over, and you get discouragement down here. Then you get this rally to anxiety. Then – you get the pullback again to aversion. And that's what we were in. We were in aversion and they even sweep the leg down here and then it took off. And what happened? It went up to $46, $47 over the next few months. Um, Look at what's happening with Alibaba. It's following the exact same pattern. And I'm so happy I thought of this today because the timing couldn't be more appropriate. So let's go through this sentiment cycle. Because nothing has changed in the underlying business. Uh, and we just went through all the regulatory stuff and why it's in their interest and how they're now changing their, their languaging and mar- the market will catch on. Look at this pattern. It's exactly the same. Returning confidence was up here in September of last year. Then you get um, enthusiasm came in October, November of last year. And then you get this crash. It's exactly the same into panic. And then you get the anxiety up here, and then you get this aversion. And that's where we are. We're at this sweep the leg, just like we had with um, with Wells Fargo in the article here. This was the sweep leg, you know, aversion, sweep the, uh, this becomes aversion, sweep the leg, and then you take off. And we're getting a similar pattern now. You got maximum Despondency. Maybe there'll be a little more weakness. I don't know, but it's really looking a whole lot. It bl- it blows through this uh, uh, volume by price here. Did the same thing with Wells Fargo. It gets below this, so people start to panic. Oh, there's no one to support it. It blew through the where all the volume is, and where oh, they couldn't defend it. It's toast. It's going to zero, and that's exactly what's happening here. And we'll see if we start to get that base filling in, and then a recovery to uh, to intrinsic value. Over time, just as we had, we had pounded the table on Wells Fargo. But I, I just, you know, this is exactly where, where we are, which would imply that as we get back up to anxiety, which is this level here, this level here, that's where you're going to face some of this pullback stuff. So once we get this base in, which, you know, may chop around here up then down again, to, you know, scare. But th- this may be it because we kind of got this pullback here. Um, at the end of the day, if you look at the business three years out and when all this noise subsides, this business is going to be at least double, if not a lot more. Um, and, um, and that's irrespective of demographic headwinds because they have – um, they have international growth uh, in, in Asia and that can continue so long as the government doesn't destroy it for them and uh, I don't think they want to do that because they want to stay in power like every politician around the world that is universal So, um, so we're eager to see this thing move from aversion to anxiety and then finally to returning confidence and beyond and we'll just track this over the months to come But uh, it was pretty exciting to see because it was the same kind of feeling in Wells Fargo when I did that leg sweep article as we're having with Alibaba today when no one wants to touch them with the 10-foot pole. Um, Just to follow up on Splunk because we were pounding the table. If you remember after earnings, they collapsed and we said we were adding here. Uh, this thing has moved up, you know, 30% in a few weeks. It's obviously going to pull back and consolidate those gains and probably scare, scare some of the new money that just bought up here out. So just expect weakness in that. Uh, maybe we get lucky and it pushes straight up to 175, but I, th- I think it's going to take a little time to digest that kind of move so quickly. Uh, the National Association of Active Investment Managers, they did pull back over the last week. So that's kind of a neutral thing there. I just wanted to update it from the article. Michael Santoli over at CNBC put out this chart from J.P. Morgan today. This shows the extreme in bonds. I always assume it mostly means funds are underweight duration. J.P. Morgan supports the general notion of bearish positioning. So everyone was short bonds. We said that when we were uh, three weeks ago that we expected that yields would go down in the short term before rising and and approaching 2% towards the end of the year early next year as the tapering becomes more imminent and in the short term they wouldn't be be doing the tapering. Nothing's changed in our view so far that's playing out correctly and it just showed how crowded this trade the short bonds trade got at the exact wrong time which is always the case. This is macro charts. Everyone with a foot out of the door, he's been pounding the table on this. I like I love this. Today's low tick tide for the fourth lowest in history in 31 years. This is just a measure of extremes. Prior extremes mark capitulation selling, which we may have saw today. Certainly, I would hope in in some of these Chinese stocks. Uh, Stocks had minimal further losses and bottomed within zero to two days. All but one record spike came in the last year. Is this time different? So so this is this spike in the tick. This was the last time. Um, You see here was a bottom. All of these kind of point to bottoms here. Bottom. Bottom at these levels, bottom here, June of last year, and you didn't even get this low during the uh, pandemic bottom. So this 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 should be um, interesting to follow in the coming days. Now, um, what did we talk about three weeks ago? We were going to get a pullback because everyone was jumping on the bandwagons in banks and energies. What have we gotten in the last few weeks? We've gotten the pullback. City. The question is, have we gotten enough pullback? And we're going to find out early next week because we got bank earnings. Um, you know, we lightened up on uh, our Wells Fargo when we were talking about that. Um, but we still have the majority of our position, our core position. And it just hasn't got down low enough where I want to add back to the whole position because we have enough that if it took off, we're perfectly fine. Um I I what what area would I start to to add back a full hundred percent percent position? I'm not sure. You know, I could see people panicking in the high thirties. That's when I'd probably consider adding back because uh, we liquidated about forty six, forty seven. So maybe thirty eight. We would add back some. Uh, you know, but I look at like Citigroup and I and I almost want to buy it here. I mean, so these are kind of interesting, but they're not. You know, this is not what I do. I'm, I'm not playing for 20% moves here. I mean, when something is just a softball down the middle, when it's down at a 50% to book, I load up the boat, and it was our biggest position ever. And, and this was, by the way, this is what happened after that leg sweep, by the way. So, um, oh, and you can see it took a few more weeks after that article to bottom and then and rock it. So maybe Baba will, will follow that same pattern. But, um, but here was the end result. And um, so we'll keep our eyes. We're kind of agnostic here. I mean, we still like the banks in the long term. Have they pulled back enough for us to want to buy more? No, we have enough exposure. We're okay. Energy, same exact thing I said. I thought the catalyst would be the, an announcement of the RAND deal. In the short term, it's been this uh, OPEC uh, uh, stuff going on. It was kind of buy the rumor, sell the news. Um but uh, again, these are not levels – You know, is the pain behind us? I think this probably has more to go because people got a little too excited about energy after hating it so much. So, And this is a huge move. So I, I think you start to scare people on Exxon around 55. They start to puke out and panic, maybe slumber I mean some of these – I mean if you look three to five years out, you could buy them all here. But again, I'm a buyer at these levels. We were pitching these before the election – this was a no-brainer at thirty-five dollars. At sixty dollars, it's a lot more complicated decision. So we have our core positions. We've trimmed back a lot on on, on both of these, uh, but we have enough that if they took off, we, we'd be perfectly happy. Um, but again, if you look in, at these weeklies, you know they've, they've they're starting to take out the late money. But I, I think there's still some room to punish people uh, that came in too late. So and that's what the market likes to do. Uh, now on the flip side. What else did we say? Is that we thought we'd start to see a second leg in some of these uh, favored um, utility staples. We wanted to be in defensives and tech for the summer. That was our thesis. And um, let's just put a weekly thing so you can get a fear. So again, we put out the article March twenty fourth. Followed, I'm sorry, February twenty fourth. Followed by I think March sixth. That's when they made a bottom. They rocketed off. Then they've been consolidating. Now you see here. We've been looking for this second leg higher. You're seeing it in Dominion. Our two biggest are Dominion and American Electric Power. Where is AEP? Same thing. Okay, so put in the bottom two weeks ago. It's starting to build that second leg. So all these things are coming to play in line with what we thought would happen in the short term with rates. So we're very happy to see this stuff starting to play. We're keep, you know, and you can see on a daily, these are starting to be bigger moves uh off the off the bottoms here so american electric power so it's moved up four bucks dominions up a couple bucks in the last couple of weeks so they're all starting to bounce now exactly in line with the rates same thing with some of the staples okay so these you couldn't give them away two weeks ago and um you know again they took off here's colgate Palmolive took off after march pulled back to consolidate it's starting to move up again uh, Clorox is starting to move. Finally, uh, Procter and Gamble, same thing. Kimberly Clark is up uh, seven bucks in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, these are all starting to move. These are defensive groups that do well when the market's choppy, when rates are low, and we're we're seeing that that takeoff happen. So, we're excited to see that. Uh, and then these are some of the big drug stocks. Again, um, let's just take a look here. Um, so Novartis is is a key one. It took off from the March, late February, early March. It consolidated the last few weeks, and now if we look on a daily, it's starting to pick back up. Pfizer has just been going sideways. It started. We'll see what happens over the next uh, week or so. Um, You know, Pfizer had made that huge move, consolidating same move as Novartis. These are our biggest two, and now we expect the second leg for both of these. And I think we're seeing signs of it. J and J. So these are the big pharma companies, and and we're seeing them start to get bid. Why? Because they're defensives, and when rates are low, the yields of staples, utilities, and um pharma become that time uh, much more valuable because they're you know now. In most cases, two times that of the ten-year yield. Here's a ten-year note. This is interesting to interpret. Um, you know, we've talked about the commercial commitments of traders. They they're often buy, aggressive buyers ahead of bottoms, aggressive buyers ahead of short-term bottoms, um, and so they've been buying in recent weeks. And sure enough, we got a bounce. Whether this is the the bottom, and you know, I I think this is kind of a counter trend move. And in the scheme of things um it hasn't really been a you know a big move up or or a big move down So if you look at historic rollovers, you get these counter trend moves and then you get rollover, which would mean bonds down yields up same thing even if you assume we're here, it's a counter trend move until you finally you know it takes a little time to build a base. So my guess is at some point uh in in weeks or months, as I had said, short term. Uh, bonds up, rates down. We got that. Maybe we get a little more intermediate term towards the end of the year. This probably you know, rolls back over. And I don't know if it bottoms here or here with yields closer to 2%. Uh, it's probably the target. And you see this type of thing over and over. You don't form a bottom overnight. You get these counter trend things on the way down. So how far down it goes and how high yields go, uh, that will depend on the timing and temperament of tapering. Uh, which doesn't start till next year. So um, just wondering. Now, uh, mortgage applications are stuck at May 2020 levels. By the way, for those of you on the podcast, we have so much to cover this week because so much has happened. Uh, you're going to get cut off in a minute and a half. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on the video cast, it'll be the first thing that comes up. And then fast forward to minute 60 on the YouTube video, and you'll pick up word for word where you got cut off, and you'll get the last 10 minutes. We're covering a whole new thesis on mortgage lenders, and you're not going to want to miss it, so um, uh, uh, take advantage of that. For those of you on the video cast, let's move, move forward. Um, okay, so mortgage applications are stuck at May 2020 levels. Here's why. Uh, The number one reason why is because of the mismatch between home supply and demand. There's um, not enough supply on the market. And with commodity prices rolling over in the last month and lumber collapsing, its biggest drop, one month drop in 40 years, um, we're going to start to see supply come back. And it's going to come back quickly and aggressively. Uh, The other thing that's happening as it relates to that is um, mortgage rates are going down, so that's also going to spur spur demand, people who felt that they missed it. Uh, so that's good. Lowest since February of uh, earlier this year. Uh, 30 years at 2.9. And then um, the Fed meeting, this is just a review. They were divided over inflation risk and bond buying when they met in June. This is from the Fed minutes that were released this week. Um, and basically... What they said uh about